Welcome to the Granary Church podcast. We're happy you could join us. For more information on the Granary Church, head to granary.org.au or follow our socials at the Granary Church. Hello, everyone. Such a gorgeous day, isn't it? Beautiful day out there. And I'm just really excited about what God wants to do in all of us this morning. Because we are, we're actually getting really close to the end of the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, boy, it's been great. I've just, I've loved getting into this and hearing what Jesus is saying. And what I, I know that he's doing is he's showing us the way to live an abundant life. And I've discovered even as you look at it, you've got to get rid of reading it with the eyes of religion and the law because we're so, we think like that so, so much that we can actually take what Jesus says and just turn it into another rule for everyone to follow when he's actually trying to do what we've been singing about this morning, break down the walls of religion and, and move us into abundant life as we get to know him. And um, that devotional was, was so beautiful. And when it talks about taking your eyes off yourself and looking at Jesus, you might think, well, how do you do that? And the way you did it was what you did when you came and took communion And you took the first layer off and there's this little wafer that represents the broken body of Christ. That's what you look at. You look at someone who loved you enough to give his life for you. You take that cup and you look at that juice which represents his blood that was shed for you that opens the way for you to come into an entirely new covenant or relationship with him where he promises to be faithful to you. It's, it's so profound. If you look at that every day and say, I am a follower of that way of life, because sometimes the word Christian can just mean a nice person, but Jesus called us to be followers of his way. He's the way, the truth, and the life. And when you do that and you look to him, everything starts to change. You start to change from within. It's a profound thing. And so this is what he's doing. He's leading us into abundant life. And today you could be sitting here with so many issues, so many problems, questions about yourself, questions about your family, questions about your friends, questions about your life. And Jesus is saying, as he says in John 10, I've come that you might have life and have it in abundance. And there's more secrets every week when we unpack it, there's more secrets that he's revealing to us about life and people and God that he wants us to embrace. And so this morning we're up to this passage from Matthew chapter 7, 12 to 23, so it's, it's fairly long. There's so much in it. We're only going to be able to touch a little bit of it today. But if you're in a connect group, go and unpack it a bit more in your connect group and read it yourself. But let's have a look and see what it's saying and ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you specifically today. One thing I love about when God speaks, when we read the word, when we unpack it, we're sitting here with all different things going on in our lives, but God wants to speak directly to your heart today, right into your life today. Turn something around, give you hope, give you faith, Give you joy. He wants to do something wherever you are at today. And he knows what it is. And you may not even know what it is yet, but he's going to show you. So let's go. Matthew 7, 12 to 23. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate, narrow the road that leads to life, and only if you find it. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. 
Thus by their fruit you will recognize them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. So a bit of a sombre verse to finish on there. You know, you're thinking, now where's the good part? Well, the good part is all in here, let me tell you. It starts off with this, and Bev spoke about this verse last week, and so we're using this verse to show how it comes right through this message. Jesus says, so whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. But this is the law and the prophets, or as some translations say, everything, all the laws and everything that, we, that we're trying to follow all summed up in this. Now, Bev was saying last week, do you get this? Everything is summed up in this. And then on Tuesday she's saying to me, do we get this? Everything is summed up in this. So I'm going to say again, do we get this? That everything is summed up in this. Sometimes we can just look and say, oh, that's really nice, you know. Love others as you want them to love you. And we go, that's nice, but let's go on to the serious stuff. This is the serious stuff, okay. So do we get this? And it's a very simple formula because the thing that you carry around all the time as your measure of how to treat others is you, you got yourself with you all the time. So in every situation that you're in, ask yourself, how would I want someone to love me in this situation? And that could be your family and your friends, but it could be when you are buying your groceries and there's some poor person standing behind the checkout that no one's talked to for the last hour. And what would you like? I do know that because I used to be a Woolies checkout chick when I was a student and I know that there are a lot of people who just don't even look at you. They don't even say hello. It would be nice if someone just said hello. <laughs> I remember one night looking at this huge line of people with trolleys like this and here we go again, just putting all the groceries through. How would you like to be treated? Well, I know now because I used to stand there. And uh, think about it wherever you go. How would you like to be treated? Before you open your mouth, how would you like someone to love you in this situation? You have your measure with you. It's you wherever you go. And so there's something profound in this. And then Jesus actually unpacks it a little bit further. And what I'm calling this today to, to ask ourselves is, are you a life giver or a life stealer? Because he actually, to bring abundant life into the world, it happens collectively. So when I'm talking about Jesus saying you, you, he has come to give you life, it doesn't just mean you personally, it means everyone. And you, you think about it logically, think about it very, very logically. If you were sitting in a room all by yourself for the rest of your life, would you call that abundant life? No. That's why that is a form of torture, isolation. So abundant life generally comes not just in your vertical relationship with God, that's part of it, but in your relationship with other people. And most of the reasons that we don't have abundant life is to do with relationships with other people. And so therefore, you in this world are contributing. So, you know, I could tell you things that other people have done or said to me that have affected my abundance in life, but they could probably tell you what I've done that's affected their abundance in life. But it's true, we all do it. And you are either a life giver or a life stealer. All of us is either one or the other. We're a life giver, a life stealer, and I think that most of the time we're a bit of both. And Jesus is saying here, to have abundant life, you have to actually bring the abundance to other people. And so, I, you know, I can spend a lot of time asking God to fill my, myself with his abundant love, which is the start of it, but the outworking of it is me bringing abundant love to other people. 
that's the outworking of it. It's not just about me. It's like it's it's not about like we read in that devotional, just me looking at myself all the time, trying to understand myself. And as we heard in a devotional a couple of weeks ago, you have to realize you are not the star of your own show. Jesus is the star of the show, and you are merely a player. So the first thing is a life giver, a life stealer, and to enter into this world of abundance, you have to choose which gate you are going to walk through. And Jesus says you can either walk through a narrow gate or a broad gate. Which one are you going to walk through? So I want to spend a bit of time looking at ancient cities and who went in a narrow gate and who went in a broad gate. Because this can be translated in so many ways. But I found this writer who, who said this about his recent trip to Israel. And he says, as we walked through Israel, the contrast was striking between the humble Jewish villages and the imposing Roman cities. The Jewish community in the village of Capernaum lived in, a sim- in simple basalt houses that were close together and often wore a maze of rooms that were added as the family grew. In contrast, a few miles away, the Roman city of Beth Sheehan had a large theatre and public bathhouses and a wide central street that was lined on both sides by ornate columns, showing visitors the glory of the Roman culture that built it. In fact, the Romans made a point of constructing enormous gates with statues to emperors and pagan gods and widening roads for their chariots and armies. All of their construction was intended to convince the onlooker that their way of life was superior to all other ways. And so there's this narrow gate, which is this very humble way, a very humble way of stripping everything of yourself off and you enter into the gate not of your own glory, not of all the amazing things you've done. Remember at the end of that passage, people will say to Jesus, but Lord, didn't we cast out demons in your name, perform miracles in your name, prophesy in your name? Like doesn't that get us in? That's, that's the broad gate. I think sometimes we, we don't define the broad gate properly. Those comments are coming from people who actually profess to know Jesus. We need to look at this seriously. They're coming from people who profess to know Jesus because they say, Lord, didn't we do this and this and this? Even cast out demons in your name. And Jesus says, I didn't know you. I, I actually believe a lot of this is written to the people who say they are followers of Jesus. It's really, it's talking about people who say, Lord, people who are in the sheepfold, if you look all the way through, it's talking about followers of Jesus. And people will say at the end, I prophesied, I performed miracles, I even cast out demons. And Jesus will say, I never knew you. That should be a sobering thought for us. Because sometimes we think because we've done these extraordinary things in the name of God, that makes us great and that's our, that's our way into his presence. And he's saying, that's the wide gate. That's the one where you come and draw attention to yourself and say, look how great I am. Look what I can do. Look how amazing I am. And you can even use your following of Jesus to be someone extraordinary. So you just take your your need to be someone great before you knew Jesus and you just bring it into the church and you make sure that everyone thinks you are great. It's a temptation for all of us because all of us want to be loved and valued. All of us all of us want to be noticed. But Jesus is saying, it's, it says in the Scriptures, if you humble yourself before the Lord, he will lift you up. And what he's saying is this way of, of self is the way of destruction. You see, you've got this broad gate that's saying, you know, look how amazing I am. Now, this doesn't say you don't cast out demons, prophesy and perform miracles. Yes, you are called to do that. It's not saying you don't do that. It's that they're using that as their reason to enter into the presence of God. 
And you and I only have one reason that we can enter in the presence of God, and that's the death and resurrection of Jesus. We have nothing else to hang on to. It doesn't matter. You know, when you find Jesus, it doesn't matter how many great things you do, you cannot claim those as your opportunity, as your reason, as your ticket, if you like, to walk into his presence. You can't claim them. There's going to be a temptation all your life, and you'll see it coming in your prayers at different times when God doesn't answer things the way you wanted them to be answered, and you say, but God... I served out there in kids' ministry for 20 years and you use it as a bargaining tool. So when we read that, we think, I'm not like that. Yes, we can all really be like that sort of person. We really can fall into that trap of thinking of what we've done and saying, this should be enough for you to answer my prayer. And he is saying, the cross is enough for me to answer your prayer. It's the cross. The cross is enough for you to come into my presence. It's the death and the resurrection of Jesus. It all hangs on that. And sometimes you come to him as a child and you just get that and then time goes on and you gradually draw the attention back to yourself. It may not be getting up on a platform to draw your attention back to yourself. It's just between you and God where you're just telling me, I did this and I gave this and I, all these things that we, we say and you realise the attention is coming back on me and I'm just not looking at him like we read in that devotion. I'm just not looking at him, his death and resurrection. And so... As we look at this, we have to realise the thief only comes to steal, kill and destroy, Jesus says, and I've come that they may have life and have it abundantly. And when we read that, often in John 10, if you've been in church long enough, you think that the thief is the devil. But if you read that in context, the text, the thief is other people who try to heap religion and rules on people, and from that religion and rules we try to earn our way into God's presence. That's what they do. And the stealing and killing and destroying you can impose on someone else, as he goes on to say. He says this, Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. Now here's a really, really interesting picture. Because, so you got the picture of sheep, okay? So Jesus uses the picture of sheep to show people who follow him. So if you think of sheep as people who follow him, what he's saying is, and you just picture in your mind like a big sheep pen, okay? And It looks like it's all sheep in the sheep pen, but it says there are some who are in disguise. They're they're dressed like sheep, but they're actually secretly wolves. Anyway, for some reason it makes me think of a Looney Tunes cartoon. Did anyone grow up watching Looney Tunes? I love Looney Tunes. (laughs) And there was one about Sam and Ralph, the sheepdog and the wolf. Does anyone remember that one? You have to go searching for that. That's a brilliant cartoon about Sam and Ralph. So for some reason I ever think of, always think of this with Sam and Ralph. Anyway, I won't go into Sam and Ralph now, but just go and Google Sam and Ralph the sheepdog. You can find it. I do it and show it to my kids like I did with Quick Draw McGraw. Has anyone ever watched that? Yep. I showed them the intro to that and they go, so? Like, no, it was fun. It's fun. Anyway, these ferocious wolves, they come to eat you. I could say that there could be a ferocious wolf sitting next to you, but you know what? You could actually be a ferocious wolf. Because what is a ferocious wolf? What's called false prophets. And um, so you think of someone who got up and gave a bad prophecy, but it's, it's, it's far deeper than that. It's someone who's bringing like, who looks like they're bringing the message of God, but they're not. And you could be that at certain times. Let's have a look at what that really means. I found it fascinating as I was looking at this to discover that in Galatians, when the Apostle Paul's writing this letter to the Galatians, he actually brings this same teaching in and he says this, For you are called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, just like we just read, 
you shall love your neighbour as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. Okay, so he's saying right in the middle of the family of God, the ones who profess to follow Jesus, you can actually start biting and devouring one another. And he says right back to what Jesus said, love one another as yourself. How do you bite and devour one another? Well, it goes on to explain how you'd bite and devour one another. It talks about dissensions and greed. And this is how we bite and devour one another. So when it's saying prophet, false prophets, it's not just me getting up and saying, I believe God said and you all say, no, he didn't. That's not what it's talking about here. It's talking about people who actually bite and devour one another and talks about being hard to one another and angry to one another and being jealous and being divisive and being in dissension and having different views that we fight against with each other. That is how we bite and devour one another. And you could have found yourself in some conversation that was actually biting and devouring someone who wasn't even in the room. You could have found that. And so even this word destruction, when Jesus says um, the broad is the, the gate, the wide gate's the way of destruction, in um, John 17, 12, he calls Judas the son of destruction. That's an interesting thing. He's the son of destruction. So I believe you can either be a child of God, son or daughter of God, or a son or daughter of destruction. And Judas was one of Jesus' followers. So have to get this into our heads. Judas was one of the 12. Judas was following him, watching him perform miracles, watching his kindness and his goodness, and he turns out to be a son of destruction. So Jesus, I believe, is saying, if you want to have abundant life and you want to bring abundant life into the world, let's have a look at ourselves to make sure that we are not sons and daughters of destruction, that we are truly sons and daughters of the living God. Because he says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. And what is his will? Well, if you just want to look at this passage in context, he goes back and he says, love others as you want to be loved. Or in John 13, he says, love others as I have loved you, which is how you want to be loved. When you picked up that communion cup this morning, you got a very small symbol of how he loves you and how he wants you to love others. And so... In Galatians 5, when it's talking about love each other and don't bite and devour one another, otherwise you'll be consumed by one another, he goes on to describe how we really should should live, how we really should love. And Jesus says, by their fruit you will know them. Someone said to me once, um, someone who has, hasn't been in church for quite a time, and they're talking about in their business sometimes they meet Christians and they said they're such a bad witness and they and he goes on to say some of the things they do with their shonky business dealings and things, a couple of Christians in you, and I said, well, maybe they're not Christians. So what do you mean they're not Christians? Or well, maybe they're not. He said, but they go to church every Sunday. But the Bible says by their fruit you will know them. And he said, does it? I thought you just like went to church on Sunday. I said, no. It actually says by their fruit you will know them. If someone is a follower of Jesus, they will be a follower of the way of Jesus. And the follower of the way of Jesus means to die to yourself, to take up your cross and to follow him. That's a follower of the way of Jesus. It's not just a nice person or a person who says the right things. As Jesus said, you can say these things and you can miss out on getting into the kingdom. So when he says by their fruit you will know them, what's the fruit? Now, if you've grown up in church, what I'm about to read, you would just click off straight away because you think, yeah, yeah, I know it, I know it, no, I know it. So let's click on and listen to it. 
because it says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Control Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. And this is how we live. Now let's have a look at what that's actually saying. Because what it's saying is this is what people want. Fruit is a powerful thing. Fruit is something that gives life that you can eat and drink and it replenishes you. But fruit is also full of seeds and fruit continues to reproduce. That's an amazing thing about fruit. It reproduces. And so you as a life-giving person will actually be able to reproduce these qualities, this fruit, It's more than qualities. It is a quality, but it's something that keeps reproducing. And so the fruit of your life is not just something that you hold. It's something that's actually reproducing life in someone else. So you have a tree and fruit drops then and the seeds are planted, something else will grow. And if you have this fruit and you intentionally plant it in the hearts of people, it will grow in other people. And people will want to be around you because you're a life-giving person. And rather than worrying about who's giving you life and what people think about you and how good you are and how great you are, you just focus, as Jesus is saying, on others and bringing life to others. Love others as you would like to be loved or love others as I have loved you and, and die to myself so that others might have life. And you actually have that opportunity every day. You'll have that opportunity as soon as we finish today. And the way you speak to people and when you drive home in the car together and when you have lunch with people, when you go to a shop or whatever you do today, you have this opportunity to be a follower of the way of Jesus and be a life-giving person to people you know and people you don't know. This is an amazing thing that the, the, the things that come out of you are actually by the Holy Spirit are actually fruit that grows more trees and grows more fruit. It's just such an amazing image that he calls it fruit. He doesn't call it virtues or qualities. He says it's fruit that comes out of you and it reproduces and it reproduces and it reproduces. That's how God is bringing abundance to the world. And, you know, there's probably plenty of situations in your life that are stealing from you. But if you look to this love of Jesus and believe totally that he loves you, he wants to bless you, he wants to flourish, he wants your life to flourish, and he wants you to bring life to others, and if you focus on that, He will start to work. It says this in Matthew 6. We did it before. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these other things that you're desiring will be added to you because he's a good God. He is a very, very good God. And as he's bringing this message in, it's not hard because it's, um, it's, it's harsh. It's hard because it's kind because it's saying, I want you to find life. And this broad, open way just comes so naturally to us to draw attention to ourselves. It's all about our insecurity, really. But when we've become secure in his love, we love to give that fruit to others. So let's have a look at this and ask ourselves as we read through it again, do I bring this into a room? Now, I asked my husband this yesterday about a couple of these and there was a couple that um, he said, sometimes I don't. You know, a couple of weeks ago we did um, the plank and the sawdust and uh, the end of it was that to move a speck of sawdust from someone's eye, got to get really close And uh, he is really close. And when I asked him, I really wanted to know the answer. And he gave me the answer and I didn't say anything on purpose. Because I read one, I learned once in some marriage seminar that um, sometimes you react in private and that's one of them. And uh, just go and think about it. Just go and think about it. Is that that what I'm like sometimes? He said sometimes. And uh, 
So here's ask these questions. So what I'm saying is if you want to ask someone this, make sure you ask someone that you really want them to answer the question. When I go into a room, say this to yourself, when I go into a room, do I bring love into the room? Do I look at people in a way that, wow, I just really want to bless every person in this room? Or am I looking for what they're going to give me? What do I do when I walk into a room? Do I bring joy when I go into a room? Or do I bring complaining and misery? Do I bring a negative feeling or do I bring joy? Do I bring peace into a room? Because when I come into a room, ask yourself this, when I come into a room, do I, you know, do I disagree with people and have arguments with people or do I bring peace? Do I bring patience into a room? Now, some of these things, you actually have to have a negative situation to be able to bring them in. Because if you're just sitting and everyone's lovely with each other, you don't need to bring patience into the room because we're all being lovers. So the thing is, some of these things, you only, you only need them when you've got a problem. Okay, if you've ever been with someone who's making you impatient, then you've got to have patience. But if they're not making you impatient, you, you, you don't need it. Okay, do I bring kindness into a room? Do I bring goodness? Do I bring faithfulness? Do people know that they can always rely on me? Always. Regardless of what they've done, where they've gone, what they said, I'll always be there for them. Am I that faithful person like God is to us? Do I bring gentleness into a room and self-control? Because in all these things, there's no law against these things where Jesus is saying when you do this, you'll fulfill all the law and the prophets. And you've got this simple um, simple measuring tool walking around with you all the time and it's called you. It's very easy. You've got it with you all the time. You just take a moment and think, if, I was, if it was the reverse, what would I want? How would I want to be treated? It's so simple. It's so simple. This is what I would like. Last week um, when I was speaking at Maitland, I said it's even to how you pray for people because sometimes our prayers for other people can be really all about us. You know, like make Chelsea like me more. Was that about Chelsea or about me? It's about, you know, and to make this happen and make this happen. And sometimes if you look at some of your prayers for other people, they're actually all about you. You just want them to do this because you want you to be happy. And as I looked at that, I went through um, John 17 because I thought, yeah, some of my prayers that I think are for others are actually about me. And uh, how would Jesus pray for people? So I thought I'd go through John 17 because that's the night before Jesus died and what he's praying here is incredibly valuable, not that anything Jesus prays isn't valuable, but as he's about to leave, what's he actually praying? And I discovered five things he prays in that prayer in John 17. And he prays this, their joy would overflow. And as I thought about this, I thought, would I ever object to anyone praying for me every day that my joy would overflow? Would you? You know, if you found out someone's praying for you every day and every day they pray that your joy would overflow, would you say, I'm happy, don't need you to pray for me anymore? No. He's, he prayed that they would be protected from the evil one. I'd be really happy if someone prayed that for me every day as well. He prayed that they would be holy or set apart. In other words, that they would fulfill the calling for which they were placed on the earth. He prayed that they would not be lost. And he prayed that they would be unified. And I promise you, if you, if you think about loving others, even in your prayer life, and you just think of those five things, everyone you're praying for, pray that they'll be overflowing with joy. Pray that they'd not be lost. Pray that they would be protected from the evil one. Praying that they would fulfill their destiny and calling that God has given them and that they would always be unified 
with the body of believers, with their family. What a powerful prayer. And Jesus prayed that. So I have this idea, and I'm sure you do too, that if Jesus is praying that, his prayers are answered. Therefore, if I'm praying that, I'm praying in alignment with him, and those prayers will be answered. And so I believe as followers of the way, he is calling us to be followers of the way. And he's saying, just be careful, because there's this big, alluring, wide-open gate that's all about you. Don't go there. It is the way of destruction. And if you go there, you will end up becoming a destroyer like Judas was. Because what Judas did was that he thought he knew how things should be done better than God himself. And so he chose this broad way. Like, I can do this. I can see what should be happening here. I will make it all happen. And he missed out. And in doing that, he brought a lot of destruction, and particularly to himself. But Jesus is saying, go through this narrow gate, this humble way where you die to yourself and you choose to follow him. And you just simply have this rule every day, wherever you go, is this how I would want to be loved? Is this how Jesus loved me? And because I've chosen to be a follower of Jesus, this is how I choose to live. I choose to be a follower of Jesus. I choose to live this way. And this will lead to abundant life to everyone else and to me. Because life comes when I'm producing this fruit, not just for myself, but in the lives of others. So I'd just like to call the band back up. And uh, Jesus said this, just to finish off. The thing he said at the end of that passage, when people say, you know, we did all these amazing things, prophesied, cast out demons, performed miracles, and Jesus says this, I never knew you. I never knew you. And so... It's not about what you do. It actually is about who you know. It's actually about do you know him and does he really know you? Do you actually know Jesus in the depths of your being? And to know him means to have this intimate relationship by his spirit dwelling within you. Do you really know him? When you take that communion cup and you look at his love for you, do you really know that? Do you, do you believe that is, is his love, his quality of love for you every day? that every moment of every day his death and resurrection is working in your life. You get to really know him. It's not so much about all the great things you do. It's about knowing him and him knowing you. And you might think, well, he does know me, but he wants you to reveal who you are to him. That's all your strengths, your weaknesses, your, your great things, your failures, your dreams, your desires. You bring them all to him. And he takes them and he transforms them. And it says in Psalm 37 verse 4, Delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. He's a God who wants to bring beauty into your life. He wants your life to flourish. He wants your family to flourish. He's called you. He's set you apart. And he wants to fill you. What he's saying is there is a temptation to go away that will lead to destruction. And he's saying, please don't take that way because I want you to flourish. Let's just take a moment of silence and, um, and ask the Lord just to show us our hearts. Sometimes you choose that wide way because you're just afraid. You're just afraid God's not going to come through for you. And so you become like Judas and you think, I'm going to have to make it happen myself. And he's saying to you today, will you just trust me with everything? Will you believe that I've come that you might have life and have it abundantly? Even if it's not going your way at the moment, will you have the courage to believe that I work all things together for good, that I am the God of the resurrection, 
that I can take anything that's dead and resurrect it. I can bring life into it. I can take find anything that's lost and restore it to you. I can find anything that's broken and fix it. He's saying to you today, I'm the God who does that. Stop trying to do it all yourself. Forget that big wide open gate and just give it all to him and go in the back door through that very narrow gate. Nothing about you but everything about his power. And so, Father, we say to you today, shine your light in our hearts. Show us where we don't trust in your love. We don't expect good. We have to gain control of things. Show us where we are not life-giving to others, but we are life-stealers. And may all of us be, choose to be followers of your way. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to our Sunday podcast. If you enjoyed it, either subscribe or follow on the podcast app that you use to keep up to date on when our next Sunday podcast gets released. Have a safe and blessed week.